We are finishing our series on hope and holiness in a hostile world. And um, there's three different prayers in uh, the book of 1 Thessalonians. And the prayer that we get at the end of the letter, what we're looking at tonight, is very similar to the prayer that we had at, uh, in the middle of the letter, which I spoke on a, a few weeks back. And uh, it's about us being holy and being blameless when Jesus returns. So if, if you haven't heard that message, can I encourage you to go back and to listen to that, but also to listen back to all the talks in the series as well. Uh, but let's have a look at uh, what we've got tonight. So the, the page number is up on the screen. It's page 1188. So if you could pass those Bibles along the pews. Um, page 1188, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning at verse 12. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone, make sure that no one pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you've been doing amongst us uh, in this series. And we pray that tonight you would refresh, you would speak to each one of us, to our hearts and to our minds. Help us to not hold back from everything that you have for us and through us. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So what is the vision for our church? Well, the vision for our church is some lives bearing fruit for Jesus. No, no, wait, that doesn't sound right. Uh, it's most lives bearing fruit for Jesus. No, no, I'm, I'm, I think that's not right either. It's, it's every life bearing fruit for Jesus. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, if you've been here any length of time, you're excited about the vision of uh, this church, that the work of uh, more and more people trusting Jesus, transforming lives, and growing the church is not just the work for the clergy, but it's the, the work for each one of us. But whether you're new to faith or whether you've been around the block a few times, uh, you have a central role to play in the kingdom that this is you and me, that this is us. Last time, I spoke on a, a vision for Christian friendship, and tonight, uh, we're looking at what it means to be the Christian family, because Paul uses this, this phrase, brothers and sisters, five times in this passage alone. And it's all about us having the, having the family likeness of Jesus Christ, about having hope and having holiness. In other words, becoming more and more like Jesus, or 
or discipleship. And uh, there's three ships in our passage today. And not just three ships that come sailing in on Christmas Day, but, but three ships that we need to get on board. And you'll have to forgive me, I know that I'm mixing metaphors. I'm talking about fruit, I'm talking about ships. Where's Jamie going? Um, but this is all about the, the fruit in our lives today, yes. But we're also on a journey somewhere, aren't we? We are on a journey, a journey to meeting Jesus Christ face to face. And we just read about presenting a holy and blameless church before God, and that is the destination. So uh, there are three ships that I want to talk about tonight that we all need to get on board. And and this passage is about what happens when um, we get together as the church, when we gather as God's church. And as we gather, we can do one of two things. We can either let what happens in church just sort of happen to us, just sort of just wash over us, or we can be proactive, we can, we can step in, we can get proactively involved, and we can, we can get on board. So we can either be aimless, or we can have a destination in mind. So what's the first ship? The, the first ship is leadership. Leadership. And let's take a look at, at verse 12. Paul writes, now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. When I first read this, my heart sank because I thought, there's nothing quite so pathetic as a minister standing at the front of a church saying, respect me. But then again, I'm just a vicar standing in front of a congregation asking them to love me. When uh, people come to me and say, uh, Jamie, I think God might be calling me to get ordained, they always say the same thing. They always say, Jamie, can I get ordained, please? It sounds like a walk in the park. No, none of them say that. They all are pretty much kicking and screaming, um, but they're being obedient to the call of God because they know that it's hard work. We see there in verse 13 that the word for work there is hard work. And then um, Paul says, for those who, who, who care for you in the Lord... And I like this translation because in the Greek it talks about um, those who are over you in the Lord. But it's it's crystal clear from Jesus' model of leadership that that those who are over you are actually under you. That that leaders are servants. Leaders are there to serve and to support you. And so when you think of your connect group leaders that are sat among you tonight, they are here to serve and to support you, to care for you. And we as your leaders, we, we care for you. We pray for you. We, we lose sleep. And we wouldn't have it any other way. And it says, those who admonish you. And uh, we wouldn't be doing our jobs properly if there wasn't some uh, admonishing from time to time. And I, I want to encourage you tonight. I know that there's been a bit more admonishing than usual in some of the teaching lately. And I want to encourage you that the way that so many of you have responded to this admonishing has been amazing. And so we see there that that you are to care for your leaders. And you think whether it's it's hospital staff, whether it's uh, the police, people in vocation-based work, they make make sacrifices. And, And we as a society, we need to learn how to look after people who look after people. Your connect group leaders, they, they, they labor with love on top of their very busy lives. So can I encourage you tonight to look out for them, look after them, 
And yes, they might be your, your big brothers and your big sisters, but they are still your brothers and your sisters. So that's, that's leadership. That's the first ship we need to get on board. The second ship is fellowship. Fellowship. And this is how we uh, relate to each other. This is how we care for each other. And this series is so crucial, isn't it? Um, because we're talking about a hostile world, about experiencing opposition from, from outside of the church. And tonight, I stand before you as someone with scars. I'm by no means the most scarred person in this room, but I have scars nonetheless. And by far, by a long way, my biggest scars, my deepest scars, the ways that I've been hurt, the ways that I've been rejected, the ways that I've been humiliated, the ways that I've been mistreated, have happened from my fellow Christians. My deepest scars are from Christians. And so I sort of think, well, with friends like these, and, and I think if we're, if we're not careful, if we're not proactive, we can, we can let bitterness take root in our lives, can't we? And we're divided and we're conquered before we've even begun. But no, Paul is saying here, don't be like this. He says in verse 13, live in peace with each other. Live in peace with each other. You skip down to verse 15. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. But always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. And we used to get these, these crunch points as a Christian community, don't we? Where we've done something that is not uh, respectful of someone else. Where things have been said that shouldn't have been said. Where we disagree and uh, where things have been said that ought not to have been. And, and Paul says uh, to, to do not just what is good for each other, but also for everyone else. And so if we, if we can't get this right as a Christian community, if we can't get this right among ourselves in loving our brothers and sisters, then what hope do we have to love those beyond? Do not be casual. Do not be passive about relationship breakdown. And so the, the admonishing here is not just for the leaders, is it? Because look at what we see here. We, we see admonishing here too. In the fellowship bit, in verse 14, it says, warn those who are idle. Now, um, there were people in the church of Thessalonica that thought, well, Jesus is coming back, so we can chill out. We can rest on our laurels. We can sit tight. But Paul is saying, no, don't be idle, but be active. Martin Luther was asked, what would he do if he knew that uh, Jesus was coming back tomorrow? And he said that he would plant a tree. We are planting a tree. We are planting to see fruit, bearing from now and into eternity. This is Russell Crowe in Gladiator saying, what we do in our life echoes in eternity. And we're still in verse 14. Paul mentions the, the disruptive. And yes, there's issues that we're going to need to thrash out. And, and, and it's recognizing, though, that there are some people that are troublemakers, and they are. They, they rock the boat. They, they rock the ship, if you like, the, the, the fellowship. And um, you can think, well, well, you know, that's just them. That's just what they're like. But Paul is saying, no, don't tolerate it. We urge you, brothers and sisters. He's, he's not being passive here. We urge you. Does, does the same person kibosh your connect group each week? 
Call them out. They are, they are made for more. They're made for, for living in peace with you. Take some ownership in the fellowship here. As Paul says, he says, encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. And the verb here is, 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 is strong. It's, it's to hold on to the weak. It's to, it's to put your arm around them. And people have been extraordinarily patient with me. We have to be patient with each other. God is, he is long-suffering. This is, a, this is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. He has been patient with us so we can be patient with others. Only look down on someone if you're lifting them up. So who is it among you that needs encouraging tonight? Who is it that needs helping? Who is it that needs patience? This is, this is your responsibility and this is my responsibility. We so often think, oh, well, you know, someone else will take care of it. But, but we are the church. You are the church. And this is what we do because it's, it's who you are. There is more. You are made for more. As an introvert, can I tell you tonight that you are made for deeper relationships? You are made for more. So that's, that's fellowship. So to get on board with fellowship. And finally, there's the third ship. There's worship. We are fam Lee, sang Sister Sledge. Get up, everybody, and sing. And this passage is a call to worship. This passage is a call to worship. And we see the verses there that are so familiar to us, to many of us, I'm sure. Verse 16, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And you might, like me, be used to reading those verses in devotionals, in your quiet time, and sort of think, well, this is about my independent life. This is about my personal life. And yes, that's, that's true. But the, the context here is the gathered worship. All the, all the verbs here are plural verbs. So he says in verse 16, rejoice always. That, that worship is not a feeling. It's a choice. Does your passion in worship ride on the circumstances of how your life is going? There's something about Christian maturity that says, I will worship God, whatever may come, however my life is going, because he's my God. And this is joyful worshiping. We're worshiping a God whose default setting is joy, and he wants your default setting to be joy too. Always. And then there's, uh, there's, in verse 17, pray continually. This, this work of interceding, of, of standing in the gap, this is the responsibility of all of us, of, of you and me. That, that when we look at the world around us, we can so often give in to helplessness and hopelessness. But Paul is saying, no, you have a responsibility to, to pray continually. And then thirdly, um, Paul says to, to give thanks in all circumstances. And again, we may not feel like it, but, but why? Why do we give thanks in all circumstances? Because it's God's will for you. That, that worship and, and prayer can be an act of defiance on all that is, is going on around us. I love how practical this is too. If you want to grow in grace, if you want to experience grace in your life, get into the habit of thanking God. Live your life as a thank you 
to Jesus Christ. And then fourthly, it's, it's about listening to the word of God. In verse 27, Paul says, I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. And we gather to, to listen to the word of God and to hear it explained because this is God's will for us. And then back in verse 19, Paul says, he says, Do not quench the Holy Spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. Every time we meet together as a 6 p.m. service, we gather beforehand to pray. We gather to worship and to pray and to listen to God, to see what he is uh, saying to us. God is, is always speaking to us by his word. That is the one place that we can be sure that God is speaking to us. But we live in the age of the Holy Spirit, don't we? And each of you who trusts in Jesus has the Holy Spirit in you. Do you speak to him? Do you come here on a Sunday night expecting to hear the Holy Spirit speak to you and expecting the Holy Spirit to speak to others through you? We get these impressions, we get these pictures, we get these words of knowledge and we, we weigh them up. Do they ring true of Jesus? Are they, are they, um, do they align with Scripture? Are they encouraging and strengthening and, and uplifting? And so we, we humbly offer these scriptures to each other so that the church might be built up. And we're missing out on, on so much if we fail to get on board with this aspect of our worshiping life, of being, of being led by the Holy Spirit. Paul says, do not quench the Spirit. The thing is, the Holy Spirit is not a flickering candle burning in the wind, never knowing who to cling to when the rain set in. He is the holy, burning, consuming fire of God. And so how do we quench the Holy Spirit? Well, we, we quench the Holy Spirit by, um, by treating him with contempt, by ignoring him, by not obeying what he says, by not saying yes to his work among us. And this is a relationship. God, he, he wants us in the mix. And if we let him, he will burn within us. And he will be a light to us. He will be a light that reveals things to us, to, to illuminate things to us. But we have to respond to him, to say yes to him being at work in our lives. To saying yes to whatever it is that he's saying to us. So this... This meeting together, this is a very active thing for each one of us, for each one of you, to, to respect and love those who are in uh, Christian leadership, to care and to support for each other, and to not just to listen to God, but also to respond to him, and to be open to the, the Holy Spirit being at work in your life through leadership, through fellowship, and through worship. Because the world around us, it isn't just hostile, it's, it's parched. It's dry and it's thirsty. People around you are hungry and thirsty, you can see that. What drives them to work the hours that they do? To, to pay for the homes, to sustain the careers that they know ultimately won't feed them. They're not stupid. 
Some of you here tonight, you are parched. And if you and I are going to to bear fruit, if we're going to to bear fruit for Jesus Christ, we need to be like that tree in Psalm 1 that is is planted by streams of, of living water that bears fruit in season and out of season. Are you living in the flow of the Holy Spirit? So your, your, your proactivity in, in leadership, in, in fellowship, in worship, it, it helps us to be ship-shape. You are, you are made for more. You are made for more. So what are we going to do, brothers and sisters? Well, we're going to, to keep gathering. We're going to keep gathering with, with an ever-increasing awe and submission to the Word of God and an ever-increasing reverence for the Spirit of God. We're going to avoid not just um, the very big kinds of evil, but reject every kind of evil. We're going to encourage each other, and we're going to bear with one another. And we're going to to honor each other, and we're going to hold one another in the highest possible regard and keep reminding each other that we were made for more. Because Jesus was very patient with you and me. Jesus sought peace. At times he admonished. And Jesus didn't just avoid evil in the wilderness, but he dealt with it once and all on the cross and sent it back to where it belonged. He valued your life and he valued my life so highly that he handed over his life in the most lopsided deal in the history of the world. And Jesus, he paid very, very close attention to the word of God. And he completely depended on the Spirit of God. And today he is praying for you constantly. This this passage is sort of front-loaded with all sorts of imperatives. All sorts of of things that that we should do, that that we are to do. And then the the second half is all about um, how Jesus will do it. So how do those two things add up? Which one is it here? Is it Jesus or is it us? Well, Paul, he he ends the letter with the grace of God. And he also began his letter with the grace of God too. Now, this isn't just some sort of literary convention or some sort of formula. But it's recognizing that when, when grace grabs hold of you, you grab hold of it. That Jesus, he has been all in for you. And when you recognize that Jesus has been all in for you, you will be all in for him. In verse 24, he calls you. And he doesn't uh, call you into, into something setting you up to fail. This isn't a trick. He, he loves you, and he calls you, and he is faithful. He is dependable. He is trustworthy. And when you get a handle on that, you will be all in for Jesus Christ. You'll, you'll be all in for his church. You are made for more. You are, you are made for more than sitting idly by. You are made for more than just merely showing up. Because the, the end goal is being holy and blameless when he returns. And this, this happens as we, as we depend on Jesus in our worship, in our fellowship, and in our leadership. In verse 23, Paul writes, May God himself, the God of peace, 
And this is the God who, who made peace with us so we can have peace with others. May he sanctify you through and through. Through and through. 99% will not do. God wants to sanctify you, to, to cleanse you completely. And he prays, may your, your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless. Do you want wholeness between your spirit and your soul and your body? I bet you do. The world craves this. And it seems like the world and his wife are doing yoga and tai chi and all sorts of things where the aim is to achieve wholeness between body, soul, and mind. And no one seems satisfied. No one seems at peace. No one seems whole. Not, not really. Not through and through. And these practices, they, they have nothing to say about sin. They have nothing to say about the sufficiency of Jesus Christ, and they're not the answer. And so, so people are devoting time and money and energy to classes to be discipled in ways other than Jesus Christ, rather than investing in the Holy Spirit. I wonder if, if God gets jealous. You, you will not find wholeness between your body and your soul and your mind by emptying your mind, but by filling your mind with the mind of Christ. Brothers and sisters, this is worship. Be renewed and be living sacrifices. You will not find wholeness in having a little escape from your day and being at one with yourself, but in being actively involved, in being all in. God has a plan for your wholeness and your healing and your completeness, and it's called the church. Every film, every newspaper, every supplement, everything and everyone is telling you that you will find wholeness deep, deep inside of yourself. But when you look deep inside of yourself, you know that not to be true. And as Christians, haven't we decided that it's no longer all about us? The world no longer revolves around us anymore. That, that the, our, the gravity for our body is not our own body, but it's the body of Christ. Our bodies are, are wasting away. But our, the center of our gravity is the body of Christ, a royal priesthood of believers bringing heaven to earth because of who they are in Jesus Christ. You are made for more. As, as egocentric and as narcissistic and as self-obsessed as we are, we, we like to think that Jesus became a human so he could become like us. But it's actually the other way around. We are invited to become human like Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is saying, come and be a fully integrated human being. Come and be more than you ever hoped and you dreamed and dared to be. Come and be like Jesus Come and be the most fully human, the most fully integrated, whole, complete, blameless human in history. Come and be clothed in Jesus' righteousness so you may know his peace and the world may know his presence. To be a church that doesn't just believe in a gospel of grace but embodies it, that, that lives it out. To be both set apart but also to be actively involved. To honor others, to love extravagantly and to worship relentlessly the one who has honored and loved you. Are you going to be all in? Are you going to be all in for all that Jesus has for you and all that Jesus has through you? Because when your ship arrives on the shore of eternity, 
Jesus, he's going to place his scarred hand on your shoulder. And he's going to say, come with me. Come with me and see all the fruit that is the result of you living a life that depended entirely on him. The one who has called you is faithful and he will do it. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with all of you. Amen.